episode of The Great Equalizer is sponsored in part by Kidskins. Kidskins transformed your children's art into customized printed books that you can treasure forever. This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in modern Josie. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. This week on The Great Equalizer, Sam's kid-related nightmares speak for themselves. Charlene has it in for Murphy. And we delve into the dark side of motherhood with author of The Push, Ashley Audrain. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what has Murphy done to you? Why do you have it in for Murphy? Or, or does Murphy have it in for you? <laughs> I think it's the latter. I don't know. Um uh, you know, on the home front, everything's still just carrying on as normal. There's no nothing really to report. It's same old, same old. But I've been trying after my op to now start to get a little bit more active and to to I started detoxing. Uh, what is it now? Five six days ago, um, which is challenging in itself because I mean you 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 cut a lot of stuff out of your diet. Um, uh, like no coffee <laughs> and I need my coffee to get up in the morning to get going. Mm. So I, I literally start my day with a full glass of water and I'm like, this is just not fucking enough to get me going. Um, but then, you know, I feel like I want to uh, get in control of my life. So I'm looking at the health side. I'm focused, trying to focus on getting more active after my up and then planning my work and like scheduling it and trying to be organized, but you know what it's like, Sam, you just get these curveballs out of left field. If it's not like an, a, a client changing a, a, their brief entirely and you have to redo everything from scratch that you thought was behind you, you've done all the work, everything's been sorted, you just have to execute, you have to now start from scratch, which then rolls into your plans for other other things that was on your list to do. So it just interferes. And I feel like Murphy just, no matter how hard you plan, no matter how organized you think you are or how much you want to have a handle on things, um, Murphy will always come and just screw you over. It's literally like you're going up and down an escalator or you're trying to run up an escalator and you're getting nowhere. Yeah. It's, going, it's going down and you're trying to get up and you're just like, Come on, work. I gotta get there. Exactly. And then I know the point of a detox is to cleanse your system, but then I get obviously get these debilitating headaches because now I've got I'm I'm on a caffeine withdrawals, I'm on sugar withdrawals, I'm like on all processed foods MSG withdrawals. Mm. So my head is pounding. And then it's not the kids' fault. So they still want my attention and I still have to show up for them. And then they scream at each other and I'm like, please, please, my head, my head is exploding. Uh, last night I finally, I took, I took headache tablets because I could not deal with it anymore. I was like, well, stuff is my detox now. I suppose at the end of the day, I, I'm still eating healthier and I'm not putting those, those unhealthy things into my body. But as far as a pure detox is concerned, I'm not doing that great. <laughs> no, dude, I'm with you. Take all the meds. Um, I've been having some headaches myself and I just think 
my emotional state and my emotional well-being is at a bit of a low. Now mm. four months postpartum, getting used to uh, and grappling with, you know, the, the lack of sleep. I can't really complain. Noah sleeps quite well, but it's still interrupted. I think mm. I've had interrupted sleep for four years now. And when you get to that that stage of life, your body is just used to it, but it's also just not working at, at capacity, you know? Yes, 100%. I found that as well with my second kid. It, it's definitely, I know exactly where you are. So if there are any um, psychologists listening, the writing is on the wall for you guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm like textbook here. I've been having some nightmares and really, really vivid dreams. I woke up one morning and I rattled off like six things to Ray that I dreamt about, six snippets of, of things happening in our lives that I'm obvious, very obviously working through. But the most prominent, and it's almost like a recurring theme, but in different circumstances, is I'm losing Elijah. And not like completely losing him or I'm, or I'm late with him. I'm, I'm just completely dropping the ball on this guy. Uh, either he's at school, and I mean, it's weird things. He's at school, and I tell him, like, in the dream... If I'm late, go to aftercare at Sorbet, as in the place where you do your nails. <laughs> as in the, the beauty salon. And then where he's at school becomes like a shopping center. And I check my watch still at home and the center closes at six and it's quarter to six. And oh I had gosh. told Eli Elijah to go there and I recall in the dream like he's at Sorbet, but I haven't told him where to go if he's not at Sorbet, and the whole dream long, I'm just treading water to, to get to my kid. I'm stuck in traffic. Then I'm trying to find a parking at the mall. Then I get to Sorbet and they tell me, no, 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 they would have taken him to head office. And the whole <laughs> time through the dream, I'm mom shamed for not picking my kid up from school on time. Oh but my gosh. At one point, Ray and I in the dream, in a different dream now, we get annoyed and with him, with Elijah, and we tell him, go. Now, what we typically do at home, if he gets overwhelmed, we tell him to do a lap around the house and he's got to go outside. And it, it becomes like a fun story. We're not punishing my child. You know, it's not corporal punishment yet. It's just we are, yeah, you know. He gets out into nature and he clears his head and he, he gets rid of a bit of that negative energy yeah, as well. And then, and then we time it for him and it becomes a game. But so we told him to go out and do a lap, but in the neighborhood. And then five oh, minutes into his walk, I look at my husband in the dream now. I look at my husband and I go, what did we just do? We just sent our four-year-old into the streets in South Africa alone. And I, <laughs> in my dream, I then open the gate and I'm running as fast as I can down our streets, looking at everybody taking their dogs for a walk or going for runs in our neighborhood, you know, as they do in the early evening. And I'm shouting at them, have you seen my boy? Have you seen my boy? And in my dream, I'm thinking about people who could have abducted him, um, child trafficking, it's a nightmare. And, and so it goes. In one, one dream, Oprah was there and I'm trying to chaperone <laughs> Oprah as part of my job. And then I also have Noah and Elijah and then Elijah's one friend from school who I'm chaperoning along with Oprah. And it's, it's just all too much, my brain. And, and then my mom is always in the dreams and I almost always end up shouting at her, losing my temper. In one of my dreams, I, and I, I got angry with my mom and I upended her bag. And I 
emptied it and said, and <laughs> said shouting at her, you can't expect me to do everything. And I'm just losing, completely <laughs> oh my losing my goodness. ship. So the, the writing is on the wall. What do you think I'm stressed about? I, I don't know. I'm going to hazard a guess just, Sam, but I Everything. think you might be overwhelmed <laughs> in your life currently. Plus also, not only is your sleep interrupted, the little sleep that you do get, you now have the added joy of having these bloody nightmares. Exactly. So even that sleep is not restful. Exactly. It's Oh, man. And I just, yeah, I think Elijah, the common thing is I'm losing, I'm losing my grip on this child mm. because my, I'm now focused on another one. And he's getting older. I really think we should chat more about this. We always say this. We should chat more mm. about that long-ass breakup that is motherhood. You know, you, yeah. you have this love affair with your kid in the early years, and then eventually they start slipping away from you. Yes, some more pressure for you in your life. Let's Sam, add another episode, Charlene. <laughs> yes. So obviously my current state of mind ties in quite nicely with our topic for today. This episode too has been a long time coming. Yeah, no, that's true. It's almost like we're Alice going down that rabbit hole right now. Well, Charlene, there's no one I'd rather go down this rabbit hole with than you, my friend. Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on planets Sam and Charlene, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are women and it comes naturally to us, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judges. So when I first fell pregnant with Elijah um, and I was a few weeks shy of giving birth, my mother, who, let me tell you, she doesn't mince her words and she's like a straight shooter no matter how much it hurts, she looked at me and she said, Sam, the second you have this baby in your arms and you have the thought that you want to throw it against the wall, please call me. <laughs> I was horrified I was because my mom she's got a temper she's a fiery that's why I'm scared of Aries woman Charlene my mom's an Aries she was born on Hitler's birthday and she's a firecracker you don't mess around with Adrian okay um Adrian if you're listening I'm sorry (laughs) yeah it's so when she said that I'll never forget it and I'll never forget how just Excuse me, lady, you underestimate the level of patience I've acquired over the years. You <laughs> underestimate who I'm intended to be as a mother. Well, of course, you know how, you know how that uh, worked out. There was definitely a moment or two or three or four where I looked at this baby and I thought it would help. If I could throw him against the wall right now. <laughs> Please tell me you can relate and that you're not calling the cops on me. No, no, no. I definitely can relate. I used to um, hear about stories like that or, or women talking about that. Oh, my mom, I think, also told me a story. It was one, or it was one of my mom's friends about how 
they literally just wanted the baby to stop crying. And then I always thought to myself, okay, yeah, but obviously you had the baby blues bad. Yeah. So this this boils down to postpartum depression. Yeah. So you I must have been really depressed. Something was really wrong because surely in a, in a, uh, I, 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 dare I say normal, in an average state of mind, you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't think that way. But before you become a mom, there's no way for you to anticipate exactly what it's going to feel like. So with the sleep deprivation, and I mean, Red told me some ridiculous statistic, which I can't recall off the top of my mind now, off the top of my head now, but it's like the amount of sleep that moms with newborns get is, is the equivalent to the torture that they give people that go into special ops in the, in the, in the military, mm. because so you, they give you, they deprive you of sleep or when they, or when they put you into, um, what are those things when they want you to tell the truth or they, the torture they, like, chamber. Tor yes. When they torture <laughs> you to talk that it's like a torture mechanism to, to deprive people of sleep and then under put them under pressure to speak the truth or to divulge information. So, before the human body like physically shuts down, there's a certain amount of hours that you need um, or that you can't go less than. And new moms with newborns have less sleep than that. I wish I could recall the statistics now. But it is amazing that we do not throw our babies against the wall. I, I can believe it. I can believe that. You know, I, I didn't mean to tell the story, so I'll make it quick. I have noticed there's been like three or four people that I'll type a text. I don't know if it's happened with you, Charlene. I'll, I'll be chatting, I'll, I'll respond to a text and I'll put my phone down and I'll come back to it later and either I look at it and the person hasn't responded because my message made no sense. <laughs> it's not gobbledygook. I've written something, but it's like I wrote it drunk. I like drunk text people. And on several <laughs> occasions, I've had my best friend or my sister say, I'm sorry, what? Like, what are you, was this meant for <laughs> me? Yeah. And I remember writing the message I can't remember what I wanted to say, but it makes it makes no sense. At one point, it made sense at the time when you were typing it. It made sense to you. <laughs> and I look back, and it had doesn't fit in with the conversation, or it's completely an untruth. It's it's not at all what I meant to say, but I don't. I, and then I obviously can't recall what I actually meant to say. It's the weirdest thing. It's almost like an alter ego of mine was typing, and I put it down to just my current state of mind. Mm, um, mm. So, I mean, this concept of, of dark motherhood or the dark side of motherhood, I'm sure that I can imagine that there have been several people that have tapped out of this conversation right now because they're just not ready to to listen or, or they're, they're not in that space, you know, and we get it. Motherhood has some amazing moments and there's a reason why we all keep pushing our children. It really is an experience like no other. However... I do think that this side that people in previous generations have not really touched on needed to come out. You look at the, the Betty Brodericks of the world and you understand you understand why some women shake their babies. You understand why some women kill their husbands. You just I, I feel that instead of mom shaming people who are tended to which I tended to do when um you know, before I had kids. Now I'm looking at these really scary, dark situations and I'm going... I think what they must have been going through yeah, at the time. Totally understand it. Yeah. And look, we've spoken about it before. There's definitely a cultural zeitgeist around 
this topic at the moment. I see it in social media and I think that the pandemic has pushed dark motherhood to the fore. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we've we've seen how mothers are breaking. They they're losing their grip on their place in the workforce now. I mean, there's a lot of things that like women have fought for in terms of feminism that we're just losing a grip on because we can't handle the pressure and the the underlying just ugliness of it all. And we're not talking about it, but for some small safe snippets of the internet, you know, some small safe spaces, which we hope the great equalizer is for for moms. I found this article and I sent it to you, Charlene. And it Mm. was written in 2019 initially and uh, uh, updated, of course, in 2020. Um, It's by bellybelly.com, an Australian website called The Dark Side of Motherhood, Nine Truths We're Scared to Share. And I had in doing my research, and I had to bring this up. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna rush through these these nine hidden truths because I relate to every single one. Um, the first, you might regret becoming a mother. I think at some point, either more overtly or less, you have that. What if I didn't do this? Exactly. That, I mean, you and I have just recently had a conversation about that. It goes through my mind. It sounds like a terrible thing to say, and I probably wouldn't have admitted it to before. I mean, to be honest, at the, by the time I admit it to you, I wonder if I made the right choice to become, if my choice to become a mother was the right one. By the time I admitted to you, I had been having this thought for pretty much since I became a mom. That's five years now. And that was the first time I admitted it to anyone. And at the time, so, I actually said to you, I can't really relate to this right now. I had just had Noah. And I yes. was loving being a mom despite all the hardships. But I get it. You know, the more we spoke about it, the more I got it. Number two on the list, this is a big one for me. You might question your parents in ways you never did before. 100%. I can relate this so much. <laughs> I had a really, really hard time and like days of reckoning with my parents where I sat them down and we dealt with some of the trauma and that and that I went through as a child. Um, and not, I don't think it's unlike trauma that a lot of people go through. I say trauma, it wasn't um, overt, as overtly bad as, as some people go through, although, I mean, trauma is a sliding scale. So, it, but I, I did have to come to terms with, you know, I was just a small kid. How could you do that? But I've also come to terms with the fact that my kids are just small kids and I'm sure they're going to turn around and tell me and the same the thing. the same thing to you. Because at the end of the day, and I find it so true, I, I've, questions pop in my mind about my childhood that I had never even thought about before. And then I think to myself, but why is this only bugging you now? And I can't help but, but I have to remind myself that Shalene – you're just a chick and your husband's just a guy. We looked up at our parents the way my children look at us now and look at us as these, these heroes, these knower, knowers of all things, you know. But, I mean, the dad's just a dude and the mom's just a chick. You're just trying to do what you think is right. Mm. So, I mean, can we really tell our kids, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing? just roll with no plus also there's no bloody manual you just have to do what you think is right so totally um you might have less patience 
for all children once you're a mother. True. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> true. True for me. I have a very select handful of children that I'm tolerant of. It, I don't even tolerate my own children as much anymore. I tolerate your, your well, I, I hardly know Noah, but I tolerate your boy Elijah more than I do my own. <laughs> but they are, I definitely find that, I mean, I used to love kids and my interest has waned since having my own. Definitely. It's true. I, I mean, I can look across a room when there's a mom with a baby or a toddler and I can give her like a, a, a nod and a smile, but it's not the same nod and smile that it used to be. It used to be, a, oh, you're so lucky. Mm. I can't wait until it's my turn. These days, it's more of a, I feel you, I get it. Some days it's really shit. I have I'm more sorry. affection for the mom <laughs> than I do for the yes. child now. Yeah. Yes. This one is a big one for me. And that you can live with little strangers. So when you have a baby or a toddler, uh, these kids are with you nearly all day and often all night. And then when they become, um, when they go to preschool and they go to primary school and that, you realize that they're going through things in the day that you don't know about. And this is so true for me right now because you expect this distance to start happening when your child is a they're teenager. Older. But yes. I'm noticing Elijah not wanting to talk about certain things now, and he's four. It's frightening. This is very true for me. I've noticed it with Josh. You know, he's such a sensitive kid, and he usually he would need my comfort when something happened in his day, or he would he would rely on me so much by telling me things and then gauging my reaction. But more and more, he it's not like he's pulling away. It's just that he's becoming a different child who doesn't need that so much anymore. So I can totally, totally relate to him. Not like being a stranger to me some days. Mm. I'm like, who is this kid? What's happening in your life? This distance. I definitely feel the distance. It was something that I wished that other parents had prepared me for, honestly. Mm. But you, I don't think, you know, like someone had said to me last night, she wished that other moms prepared her for the, um, the pain of childbirth. And I'm like, well, you don't know that you're experiencing it the same way that, that other moms do. And I think that's, I mean, that's why we're talking about dark motherhood now so that we can, you know, you might have it worse than, than other moms, but then again, they might also be able to relate to you. So the more we talk about it, the more we, we normalize these things. I want to mm, rush mm. through the rest of this and we're going to link everybody up to this bellybelly.com article on dark motherhood but I mean number five is you start to understand how parents lose their patience yeah mm. <laughs> number six your partner can easily just become a roommate yeah <laughs> you might <laughs> you might despise something about your child's behavior like you get to know them and you're like god that's you're a, a dick, dick move that's of, really yeah. shit. I hate it when he does that um, yeah. Number eight, a big one. You might struggle with who you are as a mother. And number nine, no matter how much you give, it might never feel like enough. Charlene, I, I want you to touch on this because this was something you mentioned to me. And I said, like, I'm going to need to think more about how we tackle this. Mm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very blurry feeling for me because on the one hand, it starts out as the thought of, I wonder if I made the right choice to become a mom. And then it goes into, because this is hard, and I wonder if my life would have been nicer without these kids. The, I, 
Just bear with me here, people. This sounds like a terrible, terrible thing to say. I know, but I'm I'm being vulnerable here because I do love my children and I I cannot imagine my life without them. I love them to death. I'm incredibly in love with them and I wouldn't want my life without them. But now that you know it. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there are these fleeting moments that where the thought pops through my head where I think, was this a mistake? And then then the thought process evolves into I mean I think about okay you're sure it would have been uh, maybe my life would have been more comfortable or easier without the kids but would I have felt empty because Mm. and always wondering what it would be like to have them then I go in that same thought process onto but I mean these kids didn't ask to be here I really just do the best that I can I'm just I'm just a lady I'm just me I, I I don't know all the answers and these poor kids, they're so brilliant. They're so amazing. I love them so much. In my mind, I have two of the most amazing human beings. I've brought two of the most amazing human beings into the world. I'm sure every mom feels that way. And all they get to have is me. Like, I don't have all the answers. I might cry if I talk about this because this is, it's, it's, it's emotional for me. Because you mentioned, is this as good as it gets? Yes. Is this as good as it gets for these two kids? I'm, am I ever going to be able to give them absolutely everything that they deserve and more? Because I want that for them. But I, I, will I ever just be enough? And I know everybody always says that you're the best mom for your kids and you're doing the best that you can and that is enough. I understand that. Yes, those things are enough. But what if they deserve to have an education that requires millions of rands and I will never be able to give them that. Mm. You know, will I be able to provide them with the springboards that they need to grow and become their, grow into their full potential, you know? And then also I think about my own inadequacies emotionally and, and um, psychologically. And I think about um things in my flaws in my personality and I just think this is what they get as a mom yeah, they don't a deserve mom, that flaw of mine that's so overt most of the time yeah they deserve to have a mom who who knows how to emotionally support them and not put fear in them or not go through life um always feeling you know whatever it is maybe I always feel um inadequate or guilty or I always put too much pressure on myself and you project that onto your child and oh, it's just that part of motherhood is overwhelming to me. I can't, I have to literally, when the thought sneaks in, I have to quickly push it back mm-hmm. out because I can't, I can't, it, it's like when you're a little kid and someone says to you, um, or I remember asking my parents who made me, like where, where did the human race come from? And then they tell you the whole story about God and how he created everything. And then I was like, okay, but who created God? And then I kept going. It's like that you go deeper into that rabbit hole and you're like, no, but it still doesn't make sense to me, but it still doesn't make sense to me. Or when you, when you talk to your parents about death, (laughs) you're like, where does someone go when they die? And depending on your religion, you know, what my parents told me, they go to God. I'm like, but what is God? Why does God need them there? What, what are they doing there? No, because God, when it's your time, I'm like, no, no, no. What's the point here? Yeah. What is the point of that? Like, what are they supposed to go do there? Like pick fucking flowers. I miss (laughs) the dude. Can't they stay with me? You tell me that God loves me, but I have to say goodbye to this person and be sad. So it's like one of those spiraling thoughts. And well, I'm, I'm obviously giving my, my personality away on a big level because <laughs> I've had these type of spiraling thoughts since I was a little kid, clearly. 
So when the thought enters my mind, like, is this enough? Is this as good as it gets for these two amazing human beings? They can only be as great as their, their foundation. And I'm the dick who is laying their foundation. Good Lord, help them. Because I don't, I don't know if that's enough. So you, oh, this podcast joins the, the heaps of mom-focused shows and movies and articles uh, that, that bring this to the fore. We've spoken in the past about the letdown and working moms. Trying is a new one that I discovered on, on Apple TV. You and I watched Tally last year with Charlize um, Theron. Which is a really good one for a mom kind of going through that, the the, the weight of motherhood. Um, yeah, and especially in those early sleep-deprived yeah. days where you literally, like you're saying, you're like drunk texting. It's like yeah. a, there's an alter ego, a different personality. Exactly that. There's a movie, and I mean, we can't, we don't have time to go into detail on this movie, but there's a movie at the moment on Netflix called Pieces of a Woman. I can't speak much about it because it was so triggering. I got through the first 10 minutes, then put it on silence and just read the subtitles, and I couldn't even get past that because it it, it relays her labor in, in detail, and it, it just reminds me of mine, and mine was quite traumatic. So I, I had to stop watching that. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's all coming to the fore, these, these yeah. dark places that motherhood goes to. And um, it's taken to commercial fiction right now. Books around the dark side of motherhood are fast gaining traction. Grazia magazine in the UK calls it mum noir. And a couple of months ago, Charlene, we both read The Push by Canadian author Ashley Audrain. Yeah, this, this is this was insane because I'm not a reader. So uh, if you'd regularly listened to the show, you would have heard us discuss this before. But I had to just I had to just um, consume this book. So I I did it on audiobooks, which was a new experience for me, I'll say. But what a pleasant okay, well, it was a pleasant experience for me because it was gripping and intriguing. But the book, oh my gosh, it's just it takes you to places that you you can you cannot anticipate it takes these twists and turns it's just i don't want to give away too much yes but then, yes, and yes so let's hold off ends is just like i can't let's I can't hold off let's much. hold off let's <laughs> hold off on that enthusiasm for now charlene because guess who we have on the line guys our guest today is ashley audrain author of the much talked about debut novel the push a psychological thriller that describes the ins and outs of new motherhood with a precision that is equally disarming, disturbing, and weirdly life-affirming. In just a few short months, The Push has risen to international critical acclaim, recognized by the likes of the New York Times, the LA Times, The Guardian, The Washington Post, Good Morning America, and countless major news outlets and podcasts. It's been described as the blockbuster novel of 2021. And this little news outlet couldn't agree more. We are so incredibly excited to have the one and only Ashley Audrain join us on the show. Welcome, Ashley. Welcome, Ashley. 
Hi. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. That was such a nice intro. Thank you. <laughs> such, such a pleasure to be chatting with you guys today. Oh, we are so stoked. We have been looking forward to this uh, for weeks now. Ashley, though, you are not exempt from what we um, ask all our guests, and that's who calls you mom? <laughs> yes, I love that question. Um, so I have two tiny little ones. I have one Waverly, a daughter who is three. And I have a son, Oscar, um, who is five, although he will tell you he's almost six. So I should, he, he will tell you he's counting down the days until his birthday next month. So almost six. Um, so yeah, that's who calls me mom. So you had your son, your son is almost six. And that is how long it's taken for the push to come to fruition to and I think it hit us at exactly the right time. It was waiting for Charlene and I to need it the most. <laughs> yes, I, which I'm so grateful for because it might have just slipped right through the radar or under the radar if it hadn't come at this time. So, Ash, Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's so nice. Talk to us about your career background. You were in public relations and then a publicity director at Penguin Books Canada before you put pen to paper. Um, a lot of moms listening will be able to relate to a career shift after having kids. So did new motherhood inform this decision to sit down and write this novel? Yes, it really did. And it's so interesting, you know, when we kind of look back on the choices we've made in life or sort of how we've ended up where we are and just think about like, wow, I never could have seen that coming, you know. Um, but yeah, I did. I started... Um, when I graduated from university, I right away started working in public relations um, and loved that world of, you know, marketing and communications. And I had always worked in agencies, um, which is a very busy sort of <laughs> career life. Um, and, I, you know, I, I loved that work, but it was a lot of, you know, brand work and consumer marketing. And it never really felt like it was really kind of speaking to me. And really, the thing that I loved in my life was books and writing and reading and had always, you know, taken writing courses at night and on the weekends, um, you know, alongside my career. And I, after about, I think, I, I guess about 10 years, eight or 10 years of kind of working in that world, I had the opportunity to move over to Penguin Canada, but in that same role, like doing marketing and publicity, which was just, you know, a wonderful opportunity at the time. I felt like a kid in a candy store every time I went to work because, you know, it was with authors and books and just everything I loved. Um, so I worked there for a few years and actually the writing really fell to the wayside for me during those years. Um, and I think in hindsight, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision, but I think in hindsight, it was sort of, you know, working and publishing as an aspiring writer is a very humbling thing. <laughs> you know, you are working with, you know, the great, especially at an iconic place like Penguin with these, you know, incredible, you know, best-selling international authors. And you work um, with I, Elizabeth Gilbert and I mean, some yeah. amazing names. Yeah. Some incredible people, Haled Husseini and yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert and uh, just so, I mean, so many really wonderful authors that, um, you know, when you're reading their books, of course, and it, yeah, it became a time when I sort of, I, I really was just, I consider myself a reader at that time and not so much a writer at that time, um, which is, you know, in itself, its own education to read, you know, as a writer. So that had sort of fallen away. Um, and then when I had my, I, I had sort of always planned on going back to work actually, but, you know, had... Um, got pregnant and had my son. And here in Canada, I live in Toronto, in Canada, we have a year mat leave, um, which is just fantastic. Um, of course, I'm very grateful for that. And so I think, you know, I'd always sort of thought I'd have this year ahead, you know, with him. Um, 
And I didn't really know, I you know, figured I would go back to work after, but didn't really have a solid plan. And then when he was uh, two weeks old, we discovered he was quite ill, actually. He had a chronic illness that he was diagnosed with. And that, you know, we spent a lot of time in the children's hospital here in Toronto, you know, living there weeks on end, kind of getting to the bottom of things and sort of getting him healthy again. And that really added, you know, a whole nother, you know, complex layer of motherhood, you know, trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to be a mother in the first place. And then trying to mother, you know, a child with an illness is another, another challenge. And so I really felt knocked off my feet, you know, that first year. And I think especially for those first six months. And around that six month mark, I did sort of try to, I I got my footing back a little bit, I think, you know, you sort of, I think there is that for a lot of moms, that six month mark where you kind of come out of a bit of a fog. And the clouds start lifting. Mm. Yeah, you feel like I'm not going to die. I might actually just survive this. (laughs) That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, And so I had, I sort of was experiencing that and I thought, wow, you know, I mean, I know you both will relate to this, but you know, motherhood instantly take so much from you you know it takes your time and your energy and your brain space your sleep everything and I I remember sort of thinking oh my gosh I've got like literally have about you know three or four hours left to myself at the end of the week when this all breaks down and like a tiny ounce of energy left to think and I became I think very protective of that time and very conscious of that time like what was I going to do with what I had left? And to me, that was, it was just so clear that in order to try to find myself again, you know, any sense of myself, I needed to be writing, you know, that was what I really loved and wanted to do. And so I really guarded that fiercely at that time. And just started again, like, you know, three or four hours a week, if that just getting scenes down and letting this voice of Blythe in this book come to me. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't know if it would ever be a novel. I just wanted to explore motherhood and, you know, those things that I was going through at that time and that I was noticing in myself and in the women around me who were having children all of that stuff about expectations and, you know, how hard it is and the things women don't talk about. I just wanted to write about that. And so that is sort of how that is absolutely how, you know, how the book became, although I had no idea at the time that that this is what it would turn into. But so, yeah, so you, you know, you you had said did, um, you know, motherhood really, I mean, motherhood was a huge part of this. I don't, I don't know when I would have started writing or what I would have started writing if I hadn't become a mother. You know, I might have just kind of plowed on that career track and sort of never stopped, um, you know, to think about what it was I really wanted. And I think, you know, for me, looking back now, I I feel more like myself, you know, now than I ever did even before children, which I think is, you know, which is a a gift to feel that way, a privilege Mm -hmm. for sure. But um, but yeah, so it is, it is just, it blows my mind kind of looking back to see the track it all took <laughs> to get me here today. But yeah, it's incredible. And I think also really inspiring for moms. I mean, I've got a, mm. I'm three months, four months postpartum now with my second. And I had that moment that I thought I need a creative outlet. And so, I mean, if you think, okay, Sam, whatever I start working on now could be my equivalent of the push down the line. And that speaks yeah. for all mothers, whatever your dream might be, it can happen. It's, a, it's amazing. It's an amazing testimony. And really oh, becoming you. a mother, it's so, I think also why this resonates with us and so many mothers across the world is because it's becoming a mother is really, it's a point of self-realization in your life. You really take stock of things and you're just like ticking through, okay, this is my life now. So how do I kind of 
grab a hold of what little is left of me and my time and make the most of that so that I don't fade into oblivion. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I totally, that is exactly sort of how <laughs> I felt was really taking stock of it and thinking like, and I think there's also, I think, you know, for me, I don't know if you felt this way too, but it's sort of that idea that um, you are somebody's mother now. And so you think about yourself in that light too. Yes, you know, what that, am I going to do with this life? It's got to mean something to these exactly. kids that I've brought into this world. True, totally. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt with writing. And I kept thinking like, well, who am I really? Like, I feel like a writer. I want to be a writer. And if so, I want to, if I want to look at these children and have their mom be, you know, who she really is in the world. If I want to, sh- if I want to demonstrate that to them, if I want them to live the life they really want, it just felt like, you know, unquestionable that I had to pursue this, you know, whether or not I ever became published or whether or not, you know, the book was ever finished. It was that, that ownership of doing what I wanted with my mm-hmm. time and trying to be the person that I wanted to be, you know? So I think all those things kind of, those are all things I think that rest on a mother's mind, you know, and, and I, and I think for some people it is easier to kind of ignite that than others. And we all have different challenges and we're all granted different privileges and we're all, you know, we're all in such different situations, but I think, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, that feeling. So, so Ashley, for those um, who haven't read the push yet in a nutshell, what is it about? Yeah, sure. So the push is about a woman named Blythe. And she comes from a history of women who have struggled greatly with motherhood, you know, her own mother and her own grandmother in particular. And she's very determined that she is going to break that cycle, you know, that she is going to be the kind of warm, present, engaged mother that she herself never had. And so, you know, she's in a marriage with a man named Fox and they decide to have a baby and the baby's name is Violet. And, you know, it is not long before she begins to feel like there is something wrong with the baby. You know, the, the child is very aloof and sort of standoffish. Um, she's quite an angry little girl at times um, and soon begins to act maliciously towards other children at preschool. And the problem, of course, is that her husband, you know, cannot see in this baby what Blythe sees. You know, he thinks this is very much a result of that maternal anxiety, you know, that she's carried for so long, all of those fears that she has had about motherhood. And so they really try to move on as a family and they have another baby. And in that baby, um, you know, Blythe really does find that connection she's looking for until something in the family goes terribly wrong. And they are really forced to take a look at, um, you know, who Violet is, who their daughter is, who Blythe herself is, um, what has happened, and the family unravels from there. So it is. <laughs> I was eating like gooses <laughs> because I've, I, I've, I know the book and I know how it goes. So while you're talking through this, I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> just oh. thinking about certain parts of the book. Oh my God. It's not it often a- that it's until the literally the last sentence that you kind of are unaware of what's really happening, what's really at play. And I, when I tell people it's a page, it's the epitome of a page turner. This is what I mean. It's you cannot stop. <laughs> and the week that Thank we were you. reading it, Charlene and I were checking in on each other. How far are we you? were just like, <laughs> I can't this just happened. This is so crazy. Oh, it's an absolute, absolute thrill. And while I was reading it, I kept thinking to myself. This is such a creative mind. I, I, I'm oh, just so in awe of your creativity. It's just so, it's a wonderful thing. Well, I want to, oh, I want to scratch a little bit at, at, at your surface, Ashley, because I mean, your son was six months old. We all know our mindsets. Charlene and I were chatting a bit earlier about sort of the, 
the darker thoughts that moms have. And um, it has me wondering how much of you is in Blythe. Yes, it's a good question. And people have asked me this. And, you know, it is, thankfully, nothing in the book is autobiographical, you know, <laughs> thankfully, of course. Um, but, but I think that, um, you know, every, I, I can only speak for myself as a writer, but and I'm working on my second book now, and I'm finding this now, too. But, you know, you, you, you just you do sort of pull inspiration, like these are ideas that are coming from your creative brain, and they are inspired from somewhere, you know, and, um, and so, yes, I think that there is a lot of truth and a lot of emotion and a lot of real experience on the page in terms of what I was experiencing in those early days of motherhood. You know, mm -hmm. I was so I'd always really been, you know, be, sort of obsessed with the idea of motherhood, um, like even when I was a teenager, not that I and I re, it not, wasn't coming from a place of wanting to be a mom. You know, I did. I for a long time, I thought I would never have kids. But I always thought like, why do women do it? You know, why, what make, how does a woman make that decision? And what, how does it change them? And how does it change their identity? And what about the women who regret it? You know, what about the women who, who don't have, who don't look like my mom looked, which was, you know, a, a wonderful, warm, supportive, happy mother. You know, I, I just was so aware that there was another side to this that I wasn't seeing or couldn't, you know, didn't have access to. Um, and so it doesn't sort of surprise me that this is kind of where my mind, you know, went when I started writing. But but then when I was a mom myself, you know, I really I was thinking a lot in those months about expectation, you know, this expectation that we all have about what it is going to feel like and what it is going to look like and what we are supposed to say about it, the language we are supposed to use, all of that. And it seems so glaring to me, you know, in those first six months that, you know, th that for so many women and for myself, you know, it did not look like what I had hoped or what I had thought. And yet, you know, I just thought, why, why, why is that? You know, why is there not more honest conversation around this? And I think that is where a lot of the inspiration from this book came from. And a lot of Blythe, you know, a, a lot of Blythe's voice is sort of trying to figure out if her experience is normal or not, mm. you know, if her, if, if other women are feeling the way she is. And of course, she has, you know, a heavy history of women, you know, behind her that have not done well with motherhood. And so she has that added anxiety. But but there also is sort of that day to day for her, you know, where she is going to lunch with other mothers and looking for cracks in them as well, you know, looking for one of them to just change the conversation to something that feels like a, you know, conversation that she can relate to. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that was sort of pulled from my life at that time. Um, I also am a ferocious note taker. And so I would, you know, I really would, I couldn't write every day at those times because I had this little one and you just can't do it every day, but I would take notes every day. And my mind would sort of wander when I was, you know, with friends or at the playground or nursing at night or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, a lot of those notes have shown up in the book too, those little moments from real life. I have it to sounds say. Like, it sounds like I'm talking to Sam here. Sam does literally, <laughs> that is how her oh, creative brain works. Totally. <laughs> she gets her ideas in the shower and then she has to quickly run out wet <laughs> and make a note so that she doesn't forget. I use the notes yeah, function on my iPhone. Me too. I do that too. I have it open constantly and I have like long, long, long notes. And I do the same thing in the shower. I will leave the shower and dry my hands. I don't feel so crazy now. I really don't. And, and actually, funnily enough, I wanted to draw on that scene because it was such a hard relate for me. It's, it's like you, you wrote 
um, a piece of my life, especially now where Blythe has lunch with those other moms. And then she sees a solo mom in the restaurants and she's, she's or the coffee shop and she's trying to, to pull out of another mother. Like this sucks for you sometimes too, right? And um, it's, it was such a hard relate. And another, another um, instance and scene that you set was when Blythe starts writing again. Um, at mm. first during Violet's nap times and then she, I, I don't know how much I, I, can, I can say, but she kind of lets her baby cry for a little bit longer and she puts on the headphones yeah. and she just says, okay, she's fine, she'll be fine and she kind of works through that and it's, it's a little bit like a snapshot out of my life where I just want to finish off this email or I just want to do, you know, something yeah, and get thing. it finished. I just want to finish off so I can... Tick it off my list and I don't have to go back to it. Now, babies have a knack of waking up or starting to cry or wanting to be fed exactly when you're trying to finish something off or sit down to eat or, or whatnot. So I I mean, I related so much to a lot of a lot of what you wrote about. I think without the thriller aspect, I would have been entertained mm. and felt seen. And I think that's why so many moms are enjoying this novel so much. Thank you. That's so nice to say. Thank you so much. So I particularly enjoyed, sorry to interrupt, I just want to tell you, Ashley, that I particularly enjoyed your description of the birthing experience. I did not birth, um, I did not have vaginal birth with either of my two kids um, because in our country, you are allowed to elect whether you deliver via C-section or or, or via, you know, a vaginal birth. So I had elective C-sections both times because I was just too terrified of, of the other way. I was in literally, if there was a door number three where I could just like sleep and wake up and then have my baby, I'd pick that door, but there wasn't that option. So, um, so the way you described it, oh, it just drew me into that experience. And I just thought to myself, I mean, I, I just... I don't know what it's like to give birth vaginally, but reading this, I now, I totally, I can understand it because you described it so well. It was, it was really nice to read. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. You know, I really loved writing those birth scenes and I think, you know, I read a lot and I remember thinking when I was writing that scene, like I can't think of of, of descriptions that were that vivid or that, you know, and, and I remember thinking like, why, like, why aren't, why don't, I wonder why women don't write and some women certainly do, but why a lot of people sort of shy away from those birth scenes, you know, or they sort of in a scene and we see this in television and film all the time too, of course, um, you know, that, that you, you sort of like, they go to the hospital and then it's like cut to the, you know, scene where they're just kind of holding the baby or there's like, you know, someone tells them to push twice and it's done. And that's just, you know, it's not, not how it is, of course. Exactly. Um, and so I really, there, I mean, there's, it, that is really a moment um, for me that like so much, there is a lot of kind of the, the memories that I had of kind of birth in that scene. Um, and yeah, so thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, like, is, you know, are there other parts of this I should pull back? Is it too much? Or, um, but yeah, thank you for saying I don't, that. I'm glad it. I'm I don't it think it's through. ever too much. And I think that mm -hmm. this is where um, storytelling around motherhood is going. You are part, you are blazing the trail. You're setting the trend. And Charlene and I were talking about how this dark side of motherhood has started to crop up everywhere really in books movies tv shows we we often do um a what's your binge episode where we chat about as moms what are you watching and of course 
a favorite um, of ours is Working Moms, which I'm sure you know because yeah. it's a it's a proudly Canadian show. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> um, we love that, and there's a lot of comedy around it, but it's just getting darker and darker and darker. And they um, author, and I read an, an article in Grazia by author. I think I have her name right, Caroline Corcoran. Where she calls it Mum Noir, which yeah. I thought, yes, that that's exactly what this is. Moms in fiction are not as they always have been. There's a shift. I totally agree with you. And I'm so glad you brought this up. I totally agree. And I think, um, yes, I read that article on Grazia as well, which I thought was fantastic. And of course, Working Moms is a great example of a show that you know nails the humor, but the darkness as well. And actually, I think there's a new season coming out soon, which will be so nice to watch. But um, yeah, I, you know, it's so interesting, because it feels to me like there's not a lot. I, I mean, well, one, you're right that this mom noir, it really is its own genre almost now, you know, it really is something that women, I think, and men, but like are turning readers are turning to, to kind of get that more realistic kind of side. But I also think a lot of these books tap into something we don't normally talk about when it, we associate conversations with motherhood, which is fear, you know, and fear, for me, fear is, you know, as inextricable from motherhood as love is, you know, they are, they, they are, they almost at times feel like they carry equal weight, you know, in that feeling as a mother. And it is so natural to have all kinds of fears in that motherhood experience, you know, from, for me, I even know, like, maybe before you get pregnant, but from the time you are, you know, you can see from the time you know that you are going to be a mother, that you're carrying a baby, you have fears about what will happen to that baby about their safety, about their health, about who they will be, about how you will be as a mother, about things that can go wrong. I mean, it really is this natural kind of cycling of your brain. And we, we aren't often invited to explore that or talk about that or normalize that. And if we do, I think sometimes there's this almost this sense of, you know, that we are going to be stereotyped as this kind of hysterical unhinged mother if we're too, too worried, you know, or that, um, you know, we if we're going to let our minds travel down the road of that fear, you know, to satisfy that, you know, part of our brain or our imagination that we also can't be a good loving mother, you know, there's like mm. a bit of shame attached mm. to it. Um, but I think these books and also, you know, some also, you know, we see this and um, I think kind of like the translation to TV and these TV shows and whatnot, but especially in this mom noir category of fiction, we are invited to explore that we are invited to write about it, we are invited to read about it it's okay to binge it and let that fear kind of thrill you a little and kind of indulge in that very natural sensation. So I think mm. that's maybe why it really speaks to women and, and readers so much. Um, but it is really interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, this article speaks about um, bloggers. So certain bloggers aren't sugarcoating motherhood anymore. Mm. Um, and where fiction takes on from, from that is that you're allowed to go a step further or five steps further with fiction. So um, here the author of this article writes, if mom bloggers opened up about 5 p.m. wine and skipping bath time, moms in novels are stalkers, murderers, and psychopaths. Of course they are. It's fiction. These new moms we are getting to know are not, just like Blythe, are not unlike the ones yeah. we know already, barring hopefully the murdering and the stalking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, totally. And I think that, you know, I, uh, yes. And I think kind of within, um, you know, so many of these 
pages, you know, we see there are, you know, as you've said, as the author has said, it is fiction and they sort of go these very dark places, but we also are given these scenes and these characters and these moments that are so relatable, you know, like the darker moments that are relatable that so many of us do have, you know, there's a scene in, um, in the push where, um, you know, she is in the middle of the night and she's sort of nursing and, you know, it just crosses her mind about how nice it would be to leave, you know, to get on a plane. And she's thinking about the departures board at the airport and all the places she could go and how she would really only need to take her passport and she could just get on a plane and she could go and she could be gone and she could be sleeping and she could have silence and she could not have to deal with any of it, you know? And I remember thinking sort of the same thing, like not that I would have gone, but thinking, gosh, like, wow, all the places in the world you could be at this moment, you know, that you would rather be. And those are, you know, those like there are all these kinds of, you know, thoughts or ideas that can be hard to admit. But yes, but we, we are, we're seeing them in fiction. And I think it's a great thing. If I may, um, I just pulled it up now. Uh, read my, one of my favorite uh, passages in the book. And that's, you, you're talking about the middle, the middle of the night feeding. It's, mm. it's that you, and, and I think this is why this genre and all of these shows are cropping up is because nobody wants to feel like the only one. Um, and this passage really spoke to me. So I've, uh, Blythe speaks. I felt like the only mother in the world who wouldn't survive it. The only mother who couldn't recover from having her perineum stitched from her anus to her vagina. The only mother who couldn't fight through the pain of newborn gums cutting like razor blades on her nipples. The only mother who couldn't pretend to function with her brain in the vice of sleeplessness. The only mother who looked down at her daughter and thought, please go away. Violet cried only when she was with me. It felt like a betrayal. We were supposed to want each other. And that supposed to is so telling, mm. you know, because mm. of the expectations that you mentioned that, I mean, it's, it weighs heavily on all of us. Mm. And I think reading that you just, there's a, not supernatural, but there's a, like an alternate reality element to this novel. But again, Mothers reading it feel so seen. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Yeah. So once I read this novel, I thought, Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, this has to be a movie just like those books turned into. Will our dreams in this regard come true? Will the push push through onto the big screen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yes. So they will. They will push on through to screen. However, it is actually going to be a limited television series. What? Um, instead of a film yeah, which is really exciting it's really exciting that's so, so much better because you can it. take bits and bits in at a time it's, it's not <laughs> over in one fell swoop <laughs> exactly that's sort of how I felt that's sort of how I felt um you know to even be having these conversations with you know producers and my agent about these screen rights I mean it's just it was so surreal and just mind-blowing but in a whole new world for kind of me to navigate um but yes but so we were so lucky to have interest from producers and there was interest in you know options for kind of movie or or tv and I sort of felt like I mean, just personally, I think right now, I feel like TV is really having such a moment. And uh, that's the, that's really how I'm preferring to kind of consume um, things on screen is, is these is t exactly to your point, Shirley, like the, the bingeable TV series, you know, where you just want to gobble up like all six or eight or 10 episodes. Um, and I think, I think, especially I think for a story like this, um, I think hopefully it will give more time to really kind of explore the story. The Sometimes story, two yes. hours 
too tight for a book I'm yeah exactly because I was just thinking how are they going to squeeze all of this into a movie (laughs) yeah they're going to have to leave out some parts and I'm going to be really disappointed if that happens (laughs) (laughs) totally I I agree with you and I sort of felt like there was a lot to fit in there and you know the producer um, who I talked to who I ended up going with you know had talked a lot about making sure that you know, Blythe is not, you know, a trope of another kind of unhinged mother on screen, you know, that we really Mm. keep that empathy for her and that we have the empathy for her throughout and um, that we capture kind of the nuances in each of her relationships and in her life. And that was really important to me as well. And I think that will be easier to do uh, with just more hours on the screen, I hope. Um, So it's really exciting. And so the producer's name is David Heyman. It's his television production company. Um, And so they've done some wonderful movies that I have loved. They've done all the Harry Potter films and um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and a movie I love, Marriage Story. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Don't yeah. get me started. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I loved it. Didn't you love it? I loved that movie. I, yeah. It's just so raw and real. And Scarlett Johansson in that oh. part. I, I, oh, my gosh. I'm just. I know. <laughs> so good. There's totally so agree. much out there. And I'm so happy to hear that the push is going to um, be added to my streaming lists. I'm. Oh, thank you. I, I get to It'll enjoy it fun. all over again. Um Ashley, though, I want to enjoy that second novel that you are working on. And so that was also a question. What what is next for you? Um, Can you tell us a bit more? I can. Yes. So I'm working right now through the revisions of this next book, Um, sort of, you know, I say working on, I mean, trying to work through this, you know, lockdown pandemic life we're in with two kids, but um, which, you know, is going slow, very, very slow, as so many people who are trying to work at home will um, relate to. But mm-hmm. um, yes, yeah, so it, it has a title, actually, it's called The Whispers. And it is a story that I think is very much, hopefully, very much for the same kind of, kind of readers of the push. It is, um, you know, has a lot of sort of emotional suspense and sort of that uh, emotional kind of drama in it. And it explores many of the same themes of, you know, motherhood, and marriage. And this one actually goes a little deeper into the idea of female friendship as well. And female friendships at this time in life, you know, in sort of your late 30s and early 40s and sort of how that, what that starts to look like or how that starts to change. Um, And so it is a story of, you know, four families who live on the same street. You know, they all kind of live across the street in our neighboring houses. Um, And they are families who do not quite realize, you know, all the ways in which they are connected until there is something, you know, tragic that happens on the street involving one of the families. Um, And it is set over the course of just a few days. And we sort of see kind of the, the sort of ways in which these families are tied and sort of the secrets that are unveiled are unveiled. Um, and it, it really does kind of touch on, as I said, a lot of those themes, but sort of also looks at, I think, that idea of, um, you know, I think when you reach a certain point in your life, when you know, you've had your children and, you know, your career is kind of established and you're in the relationship you're in, you know, you're in the marriage you're in and you're in the socioeconomic status you are in and your life feels kind of set all of a sudden. You know, I think when you hit kind of a certain point in your 30s, you know, everything feels sort of solidified you've got what you've got you know and and, yes. and I think so there and now? I think there are yeah and I think that there are you know some women who you know are, are happy with those choices and can really justify those choices and then there's some women who are not and I really wanted to take a look at 
um, the different sort of perspectives on that and how some people can really make a change in their life when it feels too late and some people cannot, you know, and, and how we kind of talk ourselves into or out of that. Um, so those are just all kind of things that are sort of explored in the book. Um, and it's still, you know, still going through changes and revisions and all of that, but it's been so much fun to write and it's been fun to be in a new set of characters, you know, heads mm. and, um, you know, new settings and a new story. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I have to just confess, I am not a book reader. I have read a very select few books in my life, but you have converted me, ladies. <laughs> like- <laughs> I am, I'm like, I, I just, just give us another book so I can go and read it, bloody oh. hell. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Charlene. That's so nice. As a, as a, as a writer, that is, that is a wonderful thing to hear. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, Charlene, if we didn't want this um, second novel to come to fruition, I think we'd have ourselves another co-host. Would you consider it, actually? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the things you talk about, Ashley, it's just, it's just so up our alley it's the stuff we touch on on the show all the time you're talking about female friendships we did a whole episode on female friendships it's just it's all so real for us and so relatable so thank you so much i can't thank you enough for this body of work i mean it's it's not only entertainment but it really feeds the soul of of the women reading it and men but definitely the women um and yeah i can't thank you enough it's been such a pleasure to have you on the great equalizer Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was just, honestly, it was such a joy to talk to you both. And I'm going to go back and sort of download some of those episodes that you've told me about on your podcast that I need to go back and listen to, because this is just, it's right up my alley too. And I'm just so glad that we had a chance to meet and chat. So thank you. Just be prepared. We swear a lot, especially me. I'm the foul mouth. That's okay. I'm right there with you. Don't worry. (laughs) I feel so amped I need to go for a run or something to get this excitement (laughs) out of my system I feel the same I mean what a wonderful conversation with this woman I feel like I feel like I just want to go have coffee with her (laughs) because every day that's yeah that's why I want to be like can join us on the show all the time all the time because she just everything she says and feels and talks about is I can so relate to the stuff that she that she's putting out there and what I really love is that yes it's a fictional novel that she's written but she she is passionate about motherhood and and helping other mothers feel less alone in their whatever their journey might be. I've really been feeling lately like that unhinged mother that that she speaks about and that book also just cemented for me that we're allowed to be that unhinged mother trope but we're also allowed to to love our kids we spoke earlier about relating to moms who want to throw their kids against the wall or you know moms who want to cover their ears and carry on working while their kid cries and cries and cries and cries you know please don't call child services on us guys because we love our kids yeah but it doesn't yeah it doesn't have to be a why i don't know why it always has to be I love my child, but X, Y, and Z, I feel this way. You always have to qualify any statement you have about motherhood being difficult or you feeling like a crazy person in this new role and in this new identity. You always have to qualify it with, but I'll never do that because I love my child. And here, here Ash, uh, people like Ashley or Drain and novels like The Push are letting us feel seen and 
and mm. allowing me to be unhinged. And I really hope that's the bottom line for me. And I'll continue to soldier on. I don't want this podcast to become something that it's not. And I've done a lot of thinking around what we're putting out because some days we start, we hit the stop record button. You know, we hit we hit stop on the record button, and I think we'll be too negative. You know, mm. but this just cements it for me. We are we're doing the right thing by being honest about our mothering journeys. I couldn't agree with you more because, and we also have to remember why we started these conversations, why we started this very podcast to begin with. And I guess that would be a bottom line for me is that this is our honest truth. This is our reality and everybody's experience is different, but there will be certain things that we can relate to at any given point. And if we could just make one mom or five moms or 10 moms feel a little bit less alone and that it is okay. It's okay to have those thoughts because I mean, like I said earlier, why I've never admitted to anyone what I thought about is this as good as it gets for the kids when we had the discussion earlier, but even in the, the discussion with Ashley now, she said like, why, why don't we admit these things more? Why are we not saying them out loud anymore? What is scared? What scared me into saying the truth? I mean, I, I wasn't, I'm not gonna, I don't hate my kids. I'm not going to get rid of them. I absolutely adore them, but these thoughts creep into my mind and what is preventing me from admitting that? Is it society? What is it? Is it your own expectations or is it the the trope of a good mother that's always done the rounds? I've just finished um, a book called When God Was a Rabbit and because I've been thinking about um, how mothers look in fiction, you know, before this mom noir genre and the mother is just just that she's she's a wholesome this mom wholesome, perfect little there's not infallible really, human being i mean she's not really uh central to the story she's part of the story but she's not the main character but still she plays the role of a mom as we've traditionally seen in media mm-hmm. and i think our generation of moms and our generation of movie makers and authors and podcasters are changing that and I am here for it 100%. Yeah, no, totally. So how about we keep talking? Yes, let's talk about this topic. If there's anything you want to share, you want to chat with us or weigh in on this conversation in any way, whether it's by way of swearing, ranting, raving because you love it so much or crying mm. and laughing, please DM us a voice note on Instagram at the Great Equalizer Podcast. Or you can also record one on your phone and just send that to us then over email, info at the great equalizer.co.za. And guys, please feel free to share us in all your social media posts. Uh, tell people all about it. A lot of the the platforms that you can listen to podcasts on have functions that you can share to your Instagram stories or to your Facebook, share a link. Please do that because if you um, love what we do, then there's bound to be other people that also love what we do. 
Exactly. Your support means the world to us. Just today, I had a, a, a mom who happens to be a listener as well um, say that I was chatting to another mom friend who um, was having a difficulty with balancing and juggling all the, the mom stuff. And I sent her that article that you put out on calling BS on motherhood. And she said she felt so much better about herself afterwards. So every like, every love, every share, everything you share with your friends in your community around you, we really appreciate appreciated it means the world to us and it means that we are getting out there to help other moms in their journey that's our goal so guys please don't forget to review us wherever you get your podcast and rate us on facebook and hit that subscribe button so you get reminded when there's a new episode out and that's that's also the more we're seen the better this podcast can do and the better we can serve you and so that's it for this week until next time Keep, Keep your, your mom, mom game strong. strong. For more on today's show, please head on over to our website at www.thegreatequalizer.co.za or catch us on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast or on Facebook. If you want something a little more personal, email us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za and we'll get back to you.